0: I rarely speak prophetically. Actually, that's not totally true. If you understand that word, that it means to speak for or in the place of God, uh, honestly, I think every time I come up here to preach and teach, I'm speaking prophetically. Um, Scripture says that uh, let him who speaks uh, and it's talking about somebody who has the gift of speaking, who, who publicly proclaims God's word. Let him who speaks, speak as the oracles of God, as the mouthpiece of God. So honestly, I think that every time I come up here, I'm speaking prophetically. But there is another understanding of that word. Most of us would say that it has to do with foretelling the future. Uh, I'm not entirely sure that's as accurate a definition as I would like to put on that word. I think it's more about speaking into existence, if you will, not unlike what God did when he spoke the, the worlds into existence. And certainly when we speak prophetically, it's not on the same level, all right, as God, but it's the same idea. We're, we're, we're creating with what we say the things that God is, is putting into us. We're speaking them into existence, if you will. And that's what I believe I'm going to be doing here today. That doesn't mean I won't be teaching, um, but I do believe that God has a specific word for us here today, today in this place, and I believe it's a foundational word for us heading into 2018. And I also believe that if we'll receive it by faith, that we're going to walk in some things next year that we have not walked in before. Three weeks ago, uh, Ryan Sutton was here. And he really, I think, laid a foundation for what I'm going to share with you today. Uh, I I had shared the week, interestingly, that I had shared the week before uh, with the elders, the other elders, about what God had put on my heart for us for this message, and I didn't know anything about what Ryan was going to say, what he was going to preach about. But he really, what he shared really dovetailed with what I believe God has put in my heart for our congregation. Ryan talked about having our capacity for God increased. He talk, talk, talked about supernatural expansion. He said that we're going to see new things that we've never seen. He talked about us, us having spiritual enlargement. Um, no, I wasn't here. I just listened to the recording, you guys. So, just, just uh, <laughs> Ryan planted some seeds a few weeks ago. I'm going to add some more seeds to those. And I believe that in 2018, we're going to see a, a harvest that... Honestly, from my perspective, I believe is going to be amazing. Let's pray. Lord, right now, as we approach your word, we're inviting you to speak into us. Lord, we don't want to just hear a sermon. We want to hear from you. We desire to, to know you more and to know your word. And so, Holy Spirit, we are open to you. Come and convict our hearts in places that we need that. Challenge us where we need that. And strengthen us where we need that strengthening. Lord, we're open to you. Would you, in your mercy, visit us here in this place right now. Have your way. Amen. Amen. The verse that God has really put on my heart for us as a congregation is Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. He who was was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Behold, I am making all things new. New. Now I realize that most people would look at that and say that's a future event, something that's still down the road, if you will, but there's another dimension of that that I think that we need to recognize. The Bible is one big story. Now by that I don't mean fiction, I mean an entire whole story we our western perspective we have a tendency to kind of segment we look at this part over here and as separate from this part over here but it's really one big story and it needs to be if we don't see it as a whole story we miss the wholeness of the story if you will and this section right here right toward the end i think is vital this is is coming to a a conclusion this is the end of of history as we think of it here and now and These are some of the final words of God in that context, if you will. And and again, I realize that most people would say this is is somewhere in in the future, but I believe it's also about the here and now. See, Jesus' death and resurrection changed all the rules. He is, through His atoning sacrifice, He is making all things new. And yes, that's in the future, more fully, more completely, but it's also in the here and now. Isaiah 43 God spoke through the prophet. He said, behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and, will, and rivers in the desert. I like the, uh, the message translation of that. Be alert, be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert, rivers in the badlands. One of the unique things uh, about the, the prophet Isaiah is he often is pointing toward the coming Messiah and what's going to happen and this is one of those times where he's saying, Jesus, he doesn't say that, all right? We get, the, we get the, the past perspective on this, but we know what he's talking about because the, 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 the Messiah is coming. Everything is going to be changed. It's all going to be brand new. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And yes, I realize that's talking about when we become born again, but it's more than that. I mean, think about it. His mercies are what every morning? New. New. They're, 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 They're fresh. They're alive. They're vibrant. They're not old. They're not stale. They're not boring. So practically speaking, think about it. What should that mean for us? If His mercies are new every morning, what else should be new every morning? Well, how about our lives? How about this is the day that the Lord has made? Because of his new every morning mercies, he, he restores us and he reorients us through those mercies toward himself in the here and now. He's making all things new. That's what God does in our lives ongoingly. Yes, I know that's not really a word, but you all got what I said, when I, when I, what I meant when I said that, right? So we're going to look at some of the things that God does through his mercies. But as we look at these things, I want us to understand something that I think is very important. God speaks into the situations of our lives. And as he does that, he alters those situations by what he says. It's that speaking into existence that I mentioned earlier. As God speaks into us, Situations and circumstances of our lives are changed. Are y'all with me? So let me give you a, a quick example of that. Um, happened to be reading a lot in the Old Testament recently. The story of, uh, of Gideon. We first meet Gideon, Judges chapter six. He is down in a wine press, and he is threshing wheat because he is afraid. The Midianites have come, they're oppressing the the Israelite people, and so he and all the rest of the country are afraid. And so he is hiding in this hole because he is scared, all right? Keep that in mind. God comes on the scene, he addresses Gideon, and do you remember what he says to Gideon, how he addresses him? He says, mighty man of valor. Forgive me, but he's hiding in a hole. Mighty man of valor, not on the surface, not what we see, but God was speaking truth into his life and he was changing Gideon by what he said. Are you following me? God speaks into the situations of our lives and he alters those situations because of what he says. And I believe that's what God wants to do here today. He wants to speak into your life, your situations, And change those things because of what He is saying. He's going to draw forth some things that He has put inside of you in the past because of what He says here today. Some of those things, maybe maybe you haven't thought of them in a long time. Maybe some of those things have been... Maybe maybe you've gone through some, some twists and turns in your life and some of those things seem kind of buried. They're not really strongly on the surface, if you will. Maybe even some of the, can I say it this way, the gifts and callings that God has put in you? And they've been kind of submerged. But God isn't done with you. Not by a long shot. He wants to speak some things into your life. So there's four things that I believe that God wants to say to us this morning. Four things that God does. The first one is God restores. God restores. I think of Joseph in the Old Testament sold into slavery in Egypt, but more so in this context, I think of his father Jacob. The devastation of of losing his, his favorite son. His life was miserable. Years later, when he first met Pharaoh in Egypt, Jacob said this, Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. I want you to think about that for a minute. See, when we read this section of scripture, where this comes from, the the last chapters of the book of Genesis, what we see is the story from Joseph's perspective. We get to watch Joseph's journey unfold. We're we're there when his, his brothers sell him into slavery, we get to watch him go down to Egypt. And we get a front row seat as he's there in, in Potiphar's household and he makes his way up the ranks, becomes the number one guy there. And we get to watch as that false accusation, and he's thrown into prison. We see him there in prison and, and, and the, uh, uh, the, the, the interpretation of the dreams and then he's let out and, and ultimately becomes the, the number two guy in all of Egypt. We get to watch all of that story unfold, but what we don't get to see during all of this time is Joseph's dad Jacob who must have been struggling big time his his wife Rachel who he dearly loved had died years before and then to have his son who he dearly loved from his perspective killed he's gone he thought he was torn to pieces by wild animals I can't imagine Jacob's existence. And so he said, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. My life has been awful. Every day has been misery for me. I wouldn't wish this life on anybody. That's what he's saying. But it's just one chapter later that Jacob, looking back on his life, talked about the God who has been my shepherd All my life long to this day. He went on to say that he had been redeemed from all evil. He recognized that God had restored. God had restored his family. See, that's our God. He's a restorer. He's the restorer. He's the one who restores into our lives. Think about Job in the Old Testament a wealthy man, big family. All of a sudden, all of it gone. But we know the end of the story. God restored. And then some. He gave him more than what he had before. You know, if you're familiar with the, uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, just after the final climax, Sam Gamgee thinks that, that Gandalf, his dear friend, is dead. And then all of a sudden he encounters Gandalf and... Sam is so excited, he he cries out, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What a great question. Is everything sad going to come untrue? You know, for us as Christians, the answer to that question is yes. As a matter of fact, it is. God is a restoring God. Love the passage from the prophet Joel. I will restore to you the years of the swarming locust that he has eaten. God is the restoring God. He restores what the enemy has stolen. He gives back what's been taken away. Now I'll be the first to admit that he doesn't always do that fully and completely in this life. You know, if you, uh, if you totaled your 1972 Corvette years ago, that doesn't mean God's going to give you a 1972 Corvette back again, all right? Sorry, he might. But maybe not. And he doesn't always restore the way that we think he should, but God is the restorer. He's the one who restores what has been stolen, what has been taken away. And even as we have seen in so many cases, he is the one who restores what we have squandered like the prodigal son. Even when we've messed up, God is still the restorer. And I believe God wants to restore some things to some here in this coming year. You're going to look back at the end of 2018. You're going to be amazed at what God has done in restoring to your life things that you thought were gone. Second thing God does is he redeems in the sense of the, the redeemer kinsman. As recently reading again the book of Ruth, what an amazing story of God's redemption. It really is. If you remember the, the story, there's a woman named Naomi. She's an Israelite. She's in a foreign land. Her husband and both of her adult married sons die and she's left with herself and her two daughters-in-law. And she decides she needs to go back to Israel at that point. And she tells her daughters-in-law, you need to just go back home. And one of them says okay and the other one says no, I'm sticking with you. That, that's not an exact translation, right? but something like that. And so they go, they go back to to Israel and once they get there Naomi tells people who know her don't call me Naomi because that means pleasant call me Mara because that means bitter she says I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty I'm no longer pleasant, I'm no longer happy I'm, I'm empty I'm bitter, I'm despondent I'm guessing that maybe you at times, can relate to Naomi. Maybe there was a time that you were pleasant, you were happy, but something happened. And in some part of your life, maybe you've become bitter. Maybe, maybe there's been an event that has stolen away the joy that Daryl talked about last week. Maybe you've known some depth of tragedy in your life. And now you're no longer pleasant, but you're bitter. God wants to redeem that. You know from the story of Ruth that Naomi doesn't stay bitter. I love that story because in the story of Ruth, we see a family who, in essence, was on the verge of losing their complete identity, their complete history. And not only is that redeemed in the here and now, but God places them into the, the story of His grand redemption by putting them into the, 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 the line of Jesus, the Messiah. I mean, what an amazing, amazing turn of events. God is our Redeemer. And I, I find that whole Redeemer-Kinsman idea from the book of Ruth interesting, Read this, the Redeemer Kinsman is a male relative who according to various laws found in scriptures had the privilege or responsibility to act for a relative who was either in trouble, in danger, or in need of vindication. And interestingly, it was to be the nearest blood relative. That term, Kinsman Redeemer, is only found seven times in the Bible and only in the NIV and only in the book of Ruth. But other translations that are more literal like the ESV or other ones use the word redeemer. And simply just that word, redeemer, the Hebrew word gaal that's found those seven times translated kinsman, redeemer in the book of Ruth is actually found a hundred times in the Old Testament. The unique emphasis of the redemption, salvation, vindication associated with the kinsman redeemer is the fact that this action is carried out by a kinsman on behalf of a near relative in need. That's our Lord, our redeemer, our elder brother, if you will. Jesus, who came to rescue us, who came to redeem us, came to buy us back into his family. He is the one who has done that for us. He has redeemed our lives by his own blood. He's our vindicator. He's the Redeemer. Job chapter 19. It's a verse that we sing every Easter. I know that my Redeemer lives. I want you to think about the context. You know Job has gone through some difficult times and now his friends are helping him out, telling him all the things that obviously he's done wrong. And in the midst of that, Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. Think about what that means. Job is saying, I know that my God, my Father, my kinsman, Redeemer lives. He will vindicate me. I know that my Redeemer lives. Do you know that your Redeemer lives? He is the one who redeems us. That whole... Vindication ideas found in Proverbs 23, same word. Do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields that follow this, for their redeemer is strong. Don't mess with him. He can defend totally, and he will because he is the redeemer, kinsman. That's the God that we serve. He is the redeemer, and and this kind of redemption isn't just a one-time thing think about it again. His mercies are new when? He keeps on redeeming. He keeps on making us new. See, I think that too often we have a tendency to live in the past. And I'm not even just talking about our our pre-Christian past. We have a tendency to to, to live in, to dwell on our, our mistakes, our failures, if you will. And yet, We have a Redeemer, one who has not only brought us into new life, but keeps on bringing us day by day into newness of life. Think about this. What if if Joseph, in the Old Testament, once he had been vindicated, had been let out of prison, what if he continued to live like he was still in prison, to think like he was still in prison? See, I think that's what was, was going on in the Israelites in the Old Testament. See, God had, had, had rescued them, brought them out of slavery, out of Egypt. He had redeemed them, if you will, but they continued to have that slavery mentality. Rather than seeing themselves as, as rescued, redeemed people of God, they still saw themselves as being in bondage. They still saw themselves as slaves. The Lord had redeemed them from slavery, but they still had the slavery mentality on the inside. And I think you and I have a tendency to do that same thing. We don't oftentimes act like or think like the redeemed people of God. And yes, I realize that that mentality doesn't just immediately go away. Sanctification is a lifetime process. I get that, all right? But I think we should be more and more walking in that redemption mentality. We are, after all, redeemed. We're his people. We're his children. We're, we've been adopted into the family of God. And when we have that redemption mentality, when we realize that God has made me part of his family, when we really do that, doesn't it honestly change how we think and act? Of course it does. It has to. You've been redeemed. You have a Redeemer. Your Redeemer lives. And He's for you. Thirdly, God renames. You know, uh, in the Bible, names really carry, a, a, most of the time, a, a very great significance. Throughout Scripture, people are often introduced to us not only by their names, but by the meaning of their names. Eve was the mother of all living. Isaac was laughter. Samuel was asked of God. Names are apparently pretty significant to God. And it's, it, it's because a name isn't just a, isn't just a word. It represents the person whose name it is. It's, a, it's, it's about them, if you will. You're talking to that person. So in that context, I think it's interesting that the Lord says, Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Uh, New Century Version says, See, I've written your name on my hand. Written your name on my hand. If you remember... Remember last week, Daryl preached, and right before he preached, he gave us an announcement. Anybody remember what the announcement was? About the baby? Okay, good. Uh, but do you remember where, where the, uh, the, the, he wanted to make sure he got it right? The, the, the stats? He had it written on his hand? Yeah. <laughs> Is it still there? Is that a new note? Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice job. But the, the idea... Anybody who writes something on their hand, it's to help them to remember. It's something important that they don't want to forget, right? And that's what God does with you and me. I've written your name on my hand. But see, actually, that, that Hebrew word there is even stronger. And again, that's why the ESV and other more literal translations uh, use the word engraved. It's not just it's not, it's not something that it's temporary, that's temporary that can wipe off or wash off. It's permanent. In our culture, we might say God has tattooed us onto his hand. There's a permanency about it. And that's why people get tattoos, right? It's to help them to remember permanently. Maybe something that they believe in strongly. Maybe something that they, somebody that they love. Um, maybe some memory that they want to, to recall to mind. I have a, a friend who has a tattoo reminder of her brother, who she loved dearly, who died. And she has that tattoo to remind her to never forget him. And that's the motive behind God having us engraved on his hands. Because he loves us. Now, I'll be honest, I don't think he's going to forget us. But the truth is that it's there for us to recognize how much our God cares for us. He wants to impress on us how vitally important we are to Him. And as much as I appreciate the whole idea of the significance in, of names in the Bible, I think what in my mind is even stronger is the renaming of people in Scripture. God changed Abram's name to Abraham. Because he wanted to help everybody to understand he's going to be the father of many. I love this when he changed the names of Hosea's children from no mercy and not my people to my loved one and my people. Because he wanted Israel to understand how much he loved them. Simon became Peter. Saul became Paul in the New Testament after they encountered Jesus Christ. They got new identities in him, if you will. Listen to what God says to his people. Revelation 2, I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. A new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who received it. You know, most married couples have pet names for one another. Something that nobody else uses except that other person. And it's not that nobody else uses it out of threat. It's just that nobody else is as special to that person. So when God says that he's going to give you a new name that only you and he know, I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty significant. If you ever start thinking that God is far off, impersonal, Beyond our reach, remember that He's going to give you a name that only you and He know. There are some here that I believe in the next year. God may not give you a new name in the temporal realm, but God's giving you a new name. Maybe you've said some things like Naomi, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Maybe you've called yourself a failure. Maybe you've called yourself forsaken. Maybe you've seen yourself as abandoned or passed by or hopeless or incomplete. But God today is saying that you're His friend, His child, His his heir, His beloved, His delight. And He wants you to, to not only recognize that name but acknowledge the name that he has given you he he, he doesn't just want you to see yourself just as his child just as his child as as forgiven as one loved by the lord but he wants you to to acknowledge and give voice to that name Stop using the old name. You are not a failure. You are not abandoned. You are not an idiot. You are not forsaken. You are not any of those things that you or the enemy or anyone else in your life has told you in the past. You are a child of God. You have been redeemed and renamed by Him. Use that name. Walk in it. And then fourthly, God resurrects. God resurrects. I love what Ravi Zacharias, I've heard him say it often. God didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And he's exactly right. The Lord, through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, resurrects us. He brings us back to life, if you will. He resurrects us. You know, it's not an inherently Christian symbol, but I love the, the concept of the phoenix, not the big city in Arizona. Talking about the, the, the bird, the mythical bird that gets burned up and rises again out of the ashes into newness of life. That's resurrection. You know, there's some people in this congregation who have literally risen from the ashes. There's others that have done that in a, a more figurative sort of way. But either way, you've known the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.11, great verse, it says this, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. You know, one of the, one of the quirky things about English is that um, it's, it's, it can be tr- tricky to translate from a language like Greek because Greek is oftentimes more precise. We don't, uh, many of our verbs are a little bit nebulous. Greek verbs overall are much more precise. And the, 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 the verb here that, that we translate as will also give life. In the Greek, it indica- indicates that that's an ongoing action, as in it doesn't just happen once, it keeps happening. So the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead keeps giving life, to our mortal bodies, keeps resurrecting us, if you will, over and over, our God is a resurrecting God. He brings us back to life, that abundant life that He promised. And that's what God is doing in you. And I'm convinced we'll do more and more in you in 2018. You're going to see that resurrecting power of God. Now, I realized when I was writing this that at this point there might be some people who are thinking, well, yeah, God spoke some things to me a long time ago, Tom, but, and what you're saying is really nice, but I haven't seen those things happen. I'm still waiting. And if I can be completely candid with you, and I'm not saying this to be nice, I'm saying it to be honest, I totally understand If you look next to you or maybe slightly behind or slightly ahead, you'll see that I'm in the same boat with you. I don't fully understand all the time what God is doing. But I do know that there is a God who restores, who redeems, who renames, and who resurrects. And sometimes that that intervening time that we wait, whether it's weeks or months or years or whatever, it's sometimes that time can just dissipate and in a moment, everything can change. Think, think back to David in the Old Testament. David, the shepherd boy, he knows about taking care of sheep and writing songs. And his dad sends him on an errand. Take take some food to your brothers up at the front lines. That's his whole job. He's the delivery boy that day. That was it. And just that fast, he's no longer just the errand boy. He's the hero of the nation. In a moment, everything can change. Think of... uh, Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. I was telling Michael McDevitt the other night, I think Saul of Tarsus really gets a bad rap. I don't really think he was a bad guy. Oh yeah, I know he killed Christians. All right, I get that. But he, think, think about it from, from Saul's perspective. He was, he was a Pharisee. He, was, he had been steeped in the Jewish religion and he was zealous for that religion. He saw this, this cult, this heresy... These wacko people. Read Paul, before Saul, now Paul. Read his letters in the New Testament. He does the same thing. Any heresy, he addresses it really strongly. Oh, he's no longer killing people. I get that, all right? God changed that part. But it's the same mentality. He was zealous for wanting the things of God, right? So I don't think he was a bad guy. He was honestly doing what he believed God wanted him to do. But all of a sudden... Just that fast, God totally transformed Saul's life. Th- think about Lazarus. Just before Jesus said, Lazarus come forth. Have you ever heard Carmen's song about Lazarus? I- I love Lazarus in Carmen's mind. Lazarus is in heaven, he's hanging out with, with all of the big names: Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and Daniel is there, and Ezekiel, and they're all just having a party, and all of a sudden, Lazarus starts hearing Jesus calling him. What? What happened in Lazarus's life, when he came out of that tomb? Everything in just that quick moment, transformed didn't take years. Think of the woman in the New Testament with the issue of blood. Dave Martin did such a great job of sharing about that at the, the Thanksgiving community service. Twelve years she has suffered with this. And not just the, the physical thing, but she's ceremonially unclean, what all that means. And just that Fast. God can change everything in an instant. And I believe that for some of us here, 2018 is going to be a year where we see God restoring, redeeming, renaming, resurrecting. He wants to do those things in your life. When we started. I read from Revelation 21 he who is seated on the throne said behold I am making all things new all things new that's our God he's the one who redeems and restores and renames and resurrects I'm gonna pray in just a moment but I'm gonna ask some of you I believe that some of you need to pray publicly here. Maybe, I don't know, maybe prayers of repentance, maybe prayers of consecration, whatever it might be. But as we stand here on the verge of a new year in God, of this God who redeems and restores and resurrects and renames, what should we say to him? What do you want to say to him? Let's pray. Father, right now, as we have heard your word, God, you've been speaking into us. You've been speaking life and changes and alterations into our lives. And Lord, we're trusting that you are ultimately going to bring those things to fruition. Lord, forgive us for, for, for calling ourselves by the wrong name. Forgive us for living as, as thinking we're, we're not redeemed, that we're still in slavery. Lord, forgive us for living in the old life and not the new all too often. But God, we ask that you would in your mercy cause the truth of what we've just heard To go inside of us and change and alter us as only you can Holy Spirit work in our lives that we might in this coming year see your restoring power your redeeming power your your renaming power your resurrection power in our lives more and more